Good afternoon, everyone. It's the mobile version of Office Hours, and I got the incredible to get the insights and the energy from my friend. Oh, welcome, Mr. Siegel. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for having me. I think this, the service might be a little spotty out there, but nothing we can't overcome. Yeah, well, that's why I have you in here to lead the way. In fact, if it is spotty, why don't you go ahead and introduce Joe Benjamin? He is the CEO of Young Star Ventures. Why don't you lead off? Yeah, super excited to welcome Joe Benjamin, the founder and CEO of Young Startup Ventures. Uh, super pumped. How you doing, Joe? Thank God, doing well. Thanks for having me. How you doing, yeah. Craig? I, I, Hi, I'm David. Doing great. Super pumped to be here with you. Uh, I love what you're doing in regards to, it seems like you're setting up early stage entrepreneurs and so forth with venture capitalists and investing so forth. Why is that so important for you to connect the young entrepreneur that's starting up kind of with where they can maybe get funded or capital and stuff like that sure so just some background we've been around since 1999 we focus on assisting early stage and emerging companies in raising funding which obviously is a major need for promising companies um we don't focus just on young entrepreneurs we focus on companies at the early stages so really giving assistance to companies uh that are up and running uh, helping them with regards to connections, primarily helping them connect with investors, service providers, anyone that can really assist them in moving their companies forward. Yeah, love that. And you're, and hopefully you can hear me okay. But uh, young yeah. startups are known for working with you know more cutting edge technologies, more cutting edge companies, and I'd love to get your insight on uh, AI and you know the utilization of how that's changed the venture world not only just for the companies but for the assessment of the companies themselves and the valuations and the proposition of their success sure so actually there's a joke that we've had the company ourselves hosting a panel discussion on ai whether whether vcs are going to be out of business pretty 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 soon or not, but um, obviously AI is revolutionizing a lot of the industries, various industries with regards to making it much more uh, efficient, easier to get information uh, that people want and need. Uh, we're seeing a lot of AI companies um, applying to participate at our various summits, a lot of interest from VCs and angels in the space. It's still relatively new, but uh, basically once you see uh, a crop of companies that are promising and doing really, really well. Everyone starts wanting to get, you know, on board at some point. So uh, it's uh, it's definitely a promising um, industry. I love it. And also, Joe, you run annual summits. Is that right? So we host uh, three annual summits: the New York Venture Summit, which is the largest venture capital conference in New York. We host the largest venture capital conference in Boston called the New England Venture Summit and a relatively large conference in California called Venture Summit West. Uh, the New York Venture Summit has been taking place for over 24 years. Um, during COVID, we were doing them online. We actually had the pleasure of hosting uh, David as one of our fireside chats. I don't know if you recall that, David, back in 2020. Oh, that was great. Um, I don't know who, who remembers COVID. <laughs> That's good um, but uh, that was a scary time, actually. Um, 
but uh, we we managed to go through. So just some background. We, we started off with a conference called Startup Search. Actually, before that even, out of college, I launched Young Startup Ventures uh, as, a, as an opportunity to really assist early stage companies. And I recall hosting some programs called Coffee Side Chats, where we hosted and featured uh, founders of successful companies who raised some funding. Um, interesting, I remember the early days going around colleges and just handing out invitations to folks to attend our events for free. And uh, when we started seeing obviously some interest uh, and, and a lot of a lot of interest, we started progressing, um, hosting at larger venues and basically divided, decided to move the programs from the model that we had at the time to these larger annual summits, which basically are very, very focused on showcasing emerging companies. So we basically have a database over 200,000 executives. We promote our programs to them and have a call for top innovators where basically these companies are vetted. They apply to present and we feature companies at the upcoming summit, for example, the New York Venture Summit, which is God willing, taking place in two weeks. We're featuring over 180 companies as presenters across six tracks, includes technology track, uh, we'll have some AI companies there, life sciences and healthcare track, clean tech, fintech, medtech, and also a track dedicated to seed stage companies. The, uh, the companies that we're showcasing on the industry specific tracks are specifically seeking series A through series C financing. So they're a little bit more mature. Uh, they've raised some financing before, uh, but all these companies are top innovators, uh, vetted, and uh, we're looking forward to showcasing them. Yeah, we definitely uh, want to collaborate even more and even highlight them on our Apple TV show. Uh, two Minute Girl next summer, we'll have to have a whole episode dedicated to the young startup companies. So make sure that we follow up on that. Now, one of the, the key things is the amount of time it takes to build a community. And I think that's a really important. There's so many people that are putting on events or have started you know, different events, entrepreneur events, funding events, pitch events. And one of the hardest lessons to teach is that you can't force a community. It grows. Uh, and today, yes, we have a lot more access to build a community than when you started walking around campuses and trying to get people interested. Um, but what, if you can share one of the lessons about being patient in building a community around your event, around your business. So, I mean, it's, I think most of life is a sales job in a sense, and you have to find a way to really sell yourself. Um, I mean, I'm religious also. Uh, so I believe obviously there's, there's beyond the attempt that a person had because you have people in life that try and fail. You have people in life that try and succeed, um, but you have to be persistent. And basically you have to study your marketplace, really try to understand what the community is looking for, who some of the movers and shakers are, Start developing and cultivating relationships with them and getting them, you know, to getting them on board, but really understanding what what is in it for them, obviously, and, and trying to um, create value in what you're doing so that basically uh, everyone's winning. Right. So in our programs, we have various stakeholders. We have the emerging companies, the founders, early stage companies who need the funding, need the, need the guidance and the resources. And we have the investors who are looking for deals, deal flow and looking to connect with one another. 
And then we have the service firms. We have folks that are looking to sell their services and connect with entrepreneurs and investors. So whenever we're doing our program, we're looking to really um, provide a value to each of those stakeholders in a unique way and be strategic about it. And so I think once somebody knows what it is that community is in need of and really is motivated to provide the best they possibly can to each of those participants, to each of those stakeholders, that's where they'll start seeing, um, you know, some reward and, and a following starting to grow. But there has to be there has to be some real value for those that are involved. I think. Joe, I love what you're doing. I, I want to acknowledge you. I think, and I was checking out your website before we went on air, and I, I love what it says where innovation meets capital. I think it's so cool, and, and it makes so much sense. I'm just curious, a visionary like yourself. Where are you taking this thing over the next five to 10 years? Where do you see these events, these summits, and where do you see the brand going? Great question. Um, so thank you, first of all, for the compliment. Um, we are a, I mean, we've been around for over 20 years, but we're still a young company and we have a lot to grow and a lot to, to improve. So we're always looking for ways to enhance our programs. Um, we definitely envision you know, enhancing the existing programs right now, each of our summits brings together an intimate group of over a thousand attendees. And again, showcasing over 180 companies in one day as presenters. I'm not talking about exhibiting. These companies are presenting in concurrent tracks, featuring over 150 VCs in one day as speakers and judges uh, takes a decent amount of work, but we want to enhance that. We want to, we want to, we want to uh, grow that. So one of the ways is really to try to, uh, you know, the numbers of attendees and participants at some of our summits. Uh, we may be doing some expos in the future. Um, the other thing is really to launch in different regions. Um, uh, one of the things that we've had when we first, you know, when I first used to host these programs just in New York, and they were smaller events, we used to call them Venture Scene New York, Venture Scene New Jersey, Venture Scene Philadelphia. Um, we had investors coming to our programs. One of them is a dear friend uh, named Andy Clapp, really great investor, one of genuine human being, wonderful human being who's really there for the entrepreneurs that he supports, that he's investing in. Um, and so he basically came to us. He was one of the investors who came to us and said, Joe, you guys got to launch in Boston. And um, I was like, Andy, you guys already have organizations that are doing events there. So, um, so we listened to him and it was very, very uh, good move for us. But uh, one of the things that we want to do is maybe launch in Europe in the future. Uh, the other thing is maybe to expand within industry tracks. So again, right now we're doing general tracks that are tech, life sciences, and healthcare, clean tech, fintech. But maybe expand on that and do more, more specific tracks, like things just for AI, things of that sort. So that's that's the different option for us. I'm happy I asked it because you just lit up. Just curious, where are you based? At? <laughs> We're based out of Staten Island. I'm actually speaking to you overseas right now, but uh, we're in Staten Island, New York. Very cool. And in, in putting on conferences, it's beyond the community. Uh, you know, I used to put on the biggest and oldest Super Bowl party, and I used to joke around. It was more difficult than the rest of everything that I did. Um, as you hit COVID, as you said, that was a scary time for you. But coming out of COVID, you know, there's a great demand for live events. And I personally think because of the virtual nature of so much of our interaction, that people are even more hungry than after COVID to 
meet people in person, to present in person, to fund and evaluate in person, to speak in person. Uh, are you seeing the same trend since you know your events are well attended and obviously there's a lot jam-packed into one day. Have you seen the trend or the need for in-person more than virtual? I see. I think I, I definitely believe that a lot of people are uh, very eager, and we're seeing that they're very eager to get back in person. Uh, but at the same time, I think that uh, people have realized that there is some value still in virtual. We we even internally have been discussing whether or not we would still add to our mix some virtual events. Um, even though it was a scary time, you know, thank God we managed. We we didn't lay off anyone. Um, we hosted sold out events. What we did was we pivoted. We had to find a way to take our in-person events. And um, well, let me take a st step back. We were two weeks away to an in-person conference. And it was at the epicenter of where Corona was. It was at the Santa Clara Convention Center. We had 180 companies select the uh, confirmed to present. Over 180 VCs confirmed to participate. Two weeks away, and my colleagues on my team are coming to me and saying, "What are we going to do? Are we are we still going ahead?" I said, "Yeah, it's going to go away. We're going to go ahead." And um, slowly but surely, you hear the numbers. California started saying we're not allowing for 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 you know um, large conferences, and they started going down and down and down, basically not allowing us to host our events. So what we did was we decided that we were going to wait until May. We pushed our conference off a couple of months, hoping that we would do it in person again. And then, lo and behold, Corona was was here to stay for a little while longer. So uh, what we did was we pivoted online. It was when people were starting to get a little bit into Zoom. So we took different applications, mashed them together in order to create as interactive a conference as possible. As possible. What we did was we basically redid our website, redid um, our offerings from a one-day conference to a three-day interactive conference where we allowed for matchmaking to take place online, virtually, which we still incorporate into our existing in-person events, the aspect of matchmaking, both in-person and allowing it for about seven days after the conference through a matchmaking platform. And um, yeah, it was very rewarding. So to answer your question, I'm sorry, I'm being long-winded, I still think there's value in the virtual events, and we saw it in the value that we were offering to the emerging companies, present to huge audiences of investors on screen watching them. And really, that's what the entrepreneur is looking for. But there's nothing like in person. You know, you're there, you're handshaking, you're getting to rub elbows. You know, it, it just shoulders. It's it's just it's just uh, a different feeling, obviously, and. Um, and yeah, so more and more people are getting back into it, and definitely the numbers are there. The venues are sold out, so venues—it's hard to get a venue these days, you know, because there's so many groups uh, booking. That's a good sign. People are craving it. Definitely. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. I look forward to doing more in person and virtually. And I'll throw uh, Craig Siegel's hat in the ring since he's back east. Uh, he's an incredible speaker and also investor. Joe Benjamin, the founder and CEO of Young Startup Ventures, doing so many different things to support our community, youngstartup.com. Go ahead, go online, register for one of the events. You will not regret it, I promise you. Joe, let's do more together. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Just one more thing, gentlemen. I want to offer yeah. your listeners 
all you listeners, just go to our website. If you're interested in joining us for the upcoming summit, use Meltzer VIP as your promo code, and you'll get $400 off the at the door rates. Right now it's, uh, it's more expensive than that online, but 400 off uh, the rates and basically Meltzer VIP. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, you can email me at joe at youngstartup.com. And David, we look forward to having you uh, join us at one of our summits. Uh, hopefully, a fireside chat with uh, another founder of LinkedIn or one of the other uh, major companies. We would love that. And I am always uh, will prioritize you. What a great event you hosted. Thank you for giving our community a discount. I appreciate that as well. Look forward to, like I said, next season. I know we launched uh, this season of Side 5. Season six, look for a young startup episode with their top six companies competing for $50,000 of cash prizes on Apple TV. Joe, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Joe. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Awesome. I love that guy. He's a real entrepreneur. He, he looks too young to be like, well, 25 years ago, I was doing this shit. I was thinking uh, the same thing. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, Raluca, who is up next here is Simon Chow in the house. What's going on? Hello, hello, guys. Hey, Simon, how are you? Good. Good. Can, can you guys hear me properly? You sound unbelievable. Awesome. Yeah, you, look, you look even better, which is amazing. Oh, right. thanks, man. <laughs> I literally just woke up. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I, I wish I looked that good in the middle of the day. Uh, but Simon Chow's here, founder <laughs> and host of Marketing on Mars, the CMO of BC Jobs. He is a master of marketing, obviously charismatic, is all F A F charismatic, my man. Uh, hey, I want to talk about podcast content. You know, uh, Craig and I do okay in the mix. Uh, there's so many podcasts, but there's a lot of secrets. Uh, and I always say, if you love what you do or learn to love what you do, it will tell you all its secrets. Uh, Craig and I are enjoying that, but it doesn't have to be an expensive game to play. Give us some of uh, the insights. Uh, as a master of marketing, especially in the podcast world, how we can succeed in the podcast game on a shoestring budget? Oh, I think that's that's fantastic. Um, you got this because in the beginning, when you start a podcast, you're probably not going to get a lot of listeners, and yeah, so if you're, probably, if you're, yeah, well, like almost most like like ninety nine point nine percent guaranteed, you're not going to get a lot of listeners. So when we first started, we didn't we knew we didn't want to spend you know three thousand five thousand dollars per month. When we first started, my budget was literally me recording, sending out all the invites, and then we had a one video editor that we were paying you know, four hundred five hundred dollars a month. It was very very just entry level. Uh, my my mic cost eighty dollars, and my camera was like. It was just my webcam. Now I upgraded to a different setup. But when I first started, it was very, very shoestring, very much so. Uh, and and it was very true. Like we were getting, we were getting probably three hundred downloads per month, if anything, um, for the first uh, two three months. Uh, and it wasn't until our fourth month when we got Microsoft on the show, and I can walk you guys through how that happened. Once we got Microsoft on the show it kind of put our podcast on the map. And then we were from, from there, we were able to get Aloe Yoga CMO on the show, Sam Rush, VP of global marketing, 
And once we got bigger and bigger names on the show, um, it kind of, uh, we, we kind of uh, started growing. Uh, and then one year in, we just broke 500,000 views. Um, we're very strong on, on, uh, on video uh, because uh, of the theme of the show, uh, which we can talk about in a little bit. Yeah, this is great. And I, I love what you said there. And it's funny because people in the beginning, they just want like a big name or celebrity, but that's not necessarily, Probably. yeah, that, that's, that's not necessarily going to move the needle. But when you do have good, credible names, you can leverage those. And obviously, if they share it, that's great, too. But what I love about the podcast personally, and I'd love to know if you agree, is it's a vessel to, to create strategic relationships because you may not have had a relationship with this person, but now all of a sudden there's an excuse to form one because they have an opportunity to be on your podcast. Would you agree? Yes. And then and then if they had a good time on the show which I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a vibe here with you too. If I'm I having can. a good time on the show, then <laughs> I will tell other CMOs and other founders that, Hey, I went on this show, but if it wasn't a good time, you probably wouldn't want to tell. It's kind of like going to a restaurant. You got to have your a, a service on every single episode. And it's hard to always do that. And I definitely couldn't, didn't find the equation and the formula to always bring my a game on every single episode until literally 55 episodes in. And then I was like, Oh, this is how I'm supposed to, this is how I prep before a call to always bring my in game. It took a long time to get there. Love it. Yeah, me too. And I give people the advice all the time. I say, put 10, 10 episodes in the can before you ever post one because it'll put you in the top 1% because most people quit before they get 10 episodes. You know, exactly. there, there's another aspect that, that you talked about, Simon, that's really important. And, you know, it's one thing to get people on the show but it's another for them to have a good time. And it's not just them telling other CMOs or other athletes, celebrities, billionaires, millionaires, and entrepreneurs by having an exceptional research team, by being able to articulate and utilize that beautiful charisma that you have in order to effectuate relationships like the seagull, the eagle. But it's also the people that are working for them that book them. You know, things that I've done, I've done 1,600, uh, podcast with a playbook. I've done 3,000 interviews here on Office Hours. I think 500 TV show interviews uh, on Apple as well. But the one thing that does well, if we make the people that look good, not only look good, but feel good. And, and you know, it's their livelihood. And if, if you can have an interview with the CMO of Pepsi like I had the other day, and then he's bragging the CMO to his people. I need more shows like that. Get, get me on a show like that. You're going to get everybody. And that's been my secret sauce. Not only, you know, that, that relationship with the person, it's actually making everybody feel good, uh, especially the people working for them. How long did it take you to realize? Because I know just by reputation and, I, you know, I know Craig would love to and I would love to do more content with you because you're, are, you know, a little bit better looking than most, but you're our kind of people. <laughs> if you just woke up, you're a lot better looking than most of our guys. And uh, but but how have you learned? Because you're young, right? How have you learned how important it is to make the other people that aren't on the air feel good and look good? Um, and it, but I don't want to be sitting here giving advice, sounding like I'm a pro, because I literally started my second podcast uh, a year ago. So. I, Take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, but I think 
for me, I always try to talk as if there's someone sitting right here in front of the camera. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm an introvert, so I spend Same. a lot of time. I'm gonna spend a lot of time on the computer by myself. I don't really socialize a lot until recently, and so the camera for me is literally my vessel to talk to the world, and I literally treat it as if you're literally sitting in, in front of me right now. And so for me, I just always want people to have a good time. Uh, if you come to my house parties, I have shot, I have hot sauce, like a whole rack of hot sauce, and we'll play games where if you lose, you take a shot of hot sauce. Like that's me on my personal life. And so when I started the show, I'm like, what can I bring to the show that will make my show different and give my guests a different experience? And you guys ever watched the show Hot Ones with Sean Evans? Yeah. It takes yeah, shots, spicy, spicy food and spicy challenges is like the goat of of social media. They've been around. Sean Evans has been around for 11 years and they still do 11 plus million uh, views per show. And so I said. There's no one doing this in the marketing world. Why don't I bring on C-suites and founders on my show? I asked them tough questions, questions that they probably wouldn't share to the public, like how much they, when they paid their, themselves their first salary, how much was that salary? How much are you paying your video editor? How much are you spending on Google ads? What's the return? How much did you raise at what valuation? Questions that you probably, probably wouldn't share. And if you can't answer a question, you take a shot of hot sauce. And I actually have four <laughs> hot sauce prepared behind me. Um, that, take one. yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. If you, if you, if you get me, I'll take a shot out to us. Um, <laughs> that, that was a theme. That was the secret sauce of the show. It, it, it made, it, it was a, it started off as a gimmick and now it's become kind of part of the show where really the metaphor behind the hot sauce shots is let's be authentic and let's, let's, let's treat our listeners as if they're in the room with us. And, and that's kind of the experience that uh, I want the audience to have, audience members to have, but also the guests to also have fun on the show. So we started adding a bunch of different segments that are, you know, fun and make people laugh. I love it. Yeah, no, I should say that first of all, you're fun and, and that's awesome. You have a lot of different things going on right now. You're also a part of another company as well with all the different irons in the fire. What are you personally most excited about right now? Hands down community building and events this year. Like I think COVID really put every set everyone back and made everyone realize how important it is to have authentic, authentic in-person uh, connections. And so I started my first, um, I started my first in-person event. Literally it was just six guests that came on my show that were founders local. And I said, Hey guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. We just broke 250,000 views. I would love to take you guys out for a beer. So my very first event was just six founders, me and six founders, just getting a beer locally. And then it grew to 20 founders, 30 founders. I'm doing one in seven days uh, with AWS startups and Ripple Ventures. Uh, and we're doing a founders uh, breakfast. We posted it on, on LinkedIn and in 30, 30 hours, we got 120 registrations. Uh, which for a small city like Vancouver and anyone else listening, and maybe David, uh, um, you will know this as well, and both of you guys might know this. For a small city like Vancouver to pull 120 founders is a pretty big deal. Uh, it's, equivalent, it's equivalent to 600 founders 
in in like LA or because we're such a small such small population, right? Uh, and literally, that was um, my first event was just eight months ago, and so it just goes to show there's this huge thirst for people to get back in in a non-extractive way. I'm not talking about bringing people out to your event and then for an hour and a half pitching them on what I'm selling, or for an hour and a half there's a guest panel and a keynote speaker and then another speaker and then another speaker. I'm talking about an hour and a half, two hours straight networking where founders can talk to other founders and actually brainstorm. People want to be part of the conversation nowadays and not just be not being spoken at, but spoken with, right? So beautifully yeah, yeah, said. Yeah, learning what people are listening for and. I got a couple founders up there in Vancouver that I want to get. I went to Joe Goldman Krantz book signing and his events as well. He's one of the guy that's like a rocket ship uh, in his company's name, nice. Rocket Slam. Anyway, I'll, I'll introduce you a few more, Simon, and definitely want to have on, you on more of our shows and also maybe even swing by for some shots of uh, hot sauce on yours. Give us a. I will bring. I will bring a whole suitcase of hot sauce. All right, we got a whole suitcase. Check out Simon. Yeah, he's amazing. Simon Chow. Check out his podcast. It's kicking ass, and he is the marketing GoMars.com man himself. Check it out. Marketing to Mars himself. Super fun, guys. Simon, thank you so much. Thank you for making us look good. Thanks, brother. Take care. We'll stay connected. For sure. Maybe we'll get him on. Maybe I'm on the paradigm shift. He'd be a good Saturday morning guest. He's like a cartoon. You remember when Saturday mornings were about cartoons? That's what paradigm shifts about. Those were the best. Wait, <laughs> they had those. They had those in your day. I'm old school. They got black and white cartoons. I'm so cool. Anyway, <laughs> they had a whistling mouse. Yeah, it was incredible. Uh, hopefully, Kevin's in the house. Since I'm mobile, I can't see, but it looks like he's here. There he, there he is. is. How you doing, guys? Hello, David, Craig. Great to see you, Kevin. Thank you. Figured uh, we live in Southern California, David, so why not be outside? I'm on. I'm in Southern California, so I said, why not be in traffic? Uh, see that? <laughs> <laughs> that's Craig that's the other thing of living here. <laughs> I was just in Southern are... California in the midst of a hurricane and an earthquake, but I'm happy about that. Yeah, we're glad you left. Ever since you've been here, it's been sunny. It's <laughs> it really has. Good, good luck back there. I, you, you, definitely, it was a big storm you brought, and uh, the earth was shaking for your new book launch. Uh, he brings a lot of energy. Um, your story is really unique, and I think it has contributed to you as a PR professional, an executive, and an expert in the strategies that you utilize. I was hoping you could share that story to start so people could get uh, perspective to participate in of your expertise. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, your classic entrepreneur story, um, you know, one, you know, where one opportunity presents itself where you least expect it. So, I mean, I, I'm kind of a born and raised communications professional, started my career on Wall Street and, you know, worked through a couple different market cycles. And then 2008, you had the big boom and crash, if you will, um, 2008, 2009, and had a very great position at a, a Wall Street firm, and things change, things end pretty quickly, and then it's okay, what happens next when you get laid off? And so, you know, with that, uh, I was very fortunate to really, in many ways, sort of pivot, start my own company, and, and have the company that laid me off really end up being my first client. 
um, you know, as well. And so I think that, that you know, that was a great first paycheck um, to actually get with my with KCDPR. But, um, you know, I think it's it's really just kind of starting your career and in, in communications and and life hands you kind of a little bit of a curveball. And being able to kind of react to that and, and found a business to kind of take off and grow from there. And we've been, KCD now is we're at, what, year 15 in business and have really positioned ourselves as sort of the go-to agency for financial technology, blockchain technology, and, and tech PR um, as well. Your story really resonates with me. Uh, I was also on Wall Street for 13 years. And then I also kind of had a forced pivot in the pandemic. And I totally reinvented myself, finally found alignment uh, and never looked back. And, and now I'm having more fun, more impact, more money and all that stuff. And one thing that Dave always likes to say is when something like that happens, you're always being protected, promoted and propelled to something greater. Clearly, this was a blessing in disguise for you. Do you think you would have ever started this had it not been for that forced pivot? That's a great, that's a great question, Craig. Um, I'm not sure, you know, and I think, you know, maybe the answer is no, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm in a corporate gig, you know, working on wall street, doing what I was doing at a, at a different firm. So, um, but I will say I'm definitely happier, um, have so much more experience through life and, and success, obviously the flexibility, I think the pandemic definitely, you know, with our firm, we were, you know, everybody was in an office for example, um, in one location. Now we're an agency with folks on in major cities across the country, a virtual business. So our, our overhead, you know, is significantly less. We're more profitable, but we're also able to give back to our employees. Um, you know, and one good example that came out of the pandemic was we were able to say, you know what, healthcare is important to people. Mental health is important. We're going to, we're going to cover a hundred percent of healthcare expenses for for our folks, that's something we wouldn't be able to do um, before as well. Yeah, and that. you know, within the context of PR, it's changed over the last fifteen years, and a lot of different things with technology and the virtual world. But one thing that hasn't changed is the construct of PR. That's and what I found from the leaders in the industry, like you, PR strategists, experts. Uh, you cannot survive for 15 years in your space if you're not not only establish, maintain, but also grow depth into those relationships. Over those years, and through the pandemic and through 2008, and survived through. What are some of the lessons you can share with our community? about how we recruit and retain and sustain and grow relationships at the cornerstone of public relations. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's a great point, David. I think public relations in many ways is, has changed in that tech and just the use of technology has in many ways kind of changed the game and made things easier. I mean, I, I look back to when I started my career, the concept of blogging didn't even exist yet. And, you know, when people were first launching blogs, it was like the biggest thing ever. Um, and like, is this going to change the, the media relations landscape and how companies communicate with their audiences? Um, and, and so what, what happened is it's really become kind of an evolution. Um, and to your point, I think, you know, being specialized 
when it comes to being a PR and communications professional is huge. But at the end of the day, it's still always about, in many cases, your brand, be it your personal brand or in talking about a, you know, a larger kind of corporate entity, you know, that corporate brand. Um, and I think Agassi actually said this like 30 plus years ago, images everything. And that still is very much true today in PR. You know, your corporate reputation, your corporate image is very much everything and how to protect that and how to engage and grow your audience. That's the part that's changed in PR. I think, you know, you have influencers on social media, you know, you have that new whole umbrella um, as well. The media landscape has changed in terms of what they're looking for and what they're reporting on. So being deft and being able to kind of communicate in that way has changed, um, you know, but the hallmarks of what I was groomed and trained on 25 years ago still range true. And that's, you know, be honest to your audience to obviously tell the truth, be, be accurate and be concise and be very protective of your brand, whether it's your own personal brand, you know, or your companies as well. And I think that's kind of laid the foundation, if you will, for, for success, you know, going on 14, 15 years here. I love this talk. Personal branding in 2023 is kind of like the modern day reputation. Do you agree? Absolutely. You know, personal branding is more than taking selfies of yourself and posting crap on Instagram. Like, let's be real here, too. And I think, you know, a lot of folks try to, you know, say that 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 is them personal branding. But, Craig, you nailed it. I think it's the, you know, monitoring of the brand across all of these different mediums and making sure that your message is consistent, um, you know, really across the board and conveying really what your value prop is. So if you're selling widgets, why are your widgets great? What makes them great? You know, and, and being able to connect with your audience as well to that end. Kevin, one of the areas uh, much longer than 15 years ago, uh, dealing with athletes and celebrities for so many years with Lee Steinberg and, of course, Warren Moon and I in Sports One Marketing was reputation management um, was much more straightforward in the realm of PR. Getting used to talk about getting out in front of an issue. Today, it's much more complex because you can't get out in front of issues that are not true that can be disseminated uh, and given energy to. What are some of the things uh, that you see today's PR strategy to deal with the haters and attackers and the false uh, accusations or false statements, you know, like some are just obviously stupid, like, you know, you stole gratitude from Gary Vee or, you know, Dave Meltzer is much better looking than Greg Siegel. You know, some are obvious <laughs> and so, obviously insults. Uh, but the ones that, you know, people are going, hey, I heard this about you. You're running for president of the United States, you know. <laughs> You're like, what are you talking about? Uh, what are some of the strategies that are different today when we're dealing with reputation management? I think it's it's become really a, a 24-7 game. Um, and I say, you know, I say game kind of, you know, in a in sort of a figurative sense, but it, it really, you know, the monitoring of your brand technology has actually helped. And, and AI actually it has helped a lot in this and this as well in terms of brand monitoring, whether it's through Twitter or media platforms, et cetera. But the um, the the planning component of communications now is huge. 
So, okay, if we want to get ahead of this news, I, I love that saying. And I, you know, there is still a little bit of that today. But okay, if, if our audience reacts negatively to this piece of information, how are we going to pivot? What's it going to be? So having a, you know, in many cases, having a crisis plan, knowing what to do and how to disseminate it, what platforms we're using are huge. And so I think today, all of those tools and tech where we can kind of monitor and see how the brand is being discussed in, in the case for us with our clients plays a huge role in that, as does strategic planning. Um, and in many cases, if the you know what does hit the fan, being able to re being able to react with accurate information and being timely um, is huge. Like we still, you know, to this day, there are still folks that think, you know, when there is a crisis saying no comment or not putting out a communication is acceptable. And it's not. I mean, and you see this with public companies, you see it with athletes, you know, you see it in all different sorts of verticals. Um, in many cases, it's still the same process you know, kind of be in, be in front of it as much as you can. But if you don't have the information, in many cases, it's okay to say, hey, we don't have the information at this time, but as soon as we do, you know, we're going to provide it for you. And I think that a lot of, a lot of companies and a lot of, you know, celebrities, politicians, and in many cases sometimes fail in that regards and that they, you know, they're trying to kind of position themselves in a certain way, you know, to, pr to protect some image or to portray a different, image to a, a group and you can tell they're in many cases BSing or making things up and it and it and it reflects on their reputation over time. Yeah, this is great. Um one thing that I, I haven't done everything very well my whole life, but I did something pretty good the last couple of years and that's formed strategic relationships and collaborations as, as a, a reflection of the brand and, and so forth. Based upon your experience, how important is that to be really strategic with your collaborations and obviously your associations as well? Huge. I mean, great point, Greg. I mean, obviously huge, whether it's like within your within your network or industries you work in, whether it's professional associations or bringing folks in that are closely, you know, aligned as well. But in many cases, you know, looking at audiences that maybe, you know, aren't thought of, um, you know, uniquely, whether it's a different demographic. Um, doing a lot of work in financial services, you know, women and minorities, for example, are, you know, in many cases in the past have been overlooked when it comes to communication strategies. So in engaging some of these underserved, underutilized communities and, and giving them an opportunity to, to play a huge role, you know, with an organization, I think is, is something that, that is huge in that regard. Dave, that's why you hang out with me, right? To elevate your brands. I was going to say, I didn't know it was so huge. Maybe I should really pick uh, the partners I use on my shows more often. Uh, but, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why we brought in Kevin and Craig here on Office Hours. Kevin, let's do more together, my friend. I appreciate your expertise, experience, situational knowledge, and especially your relationship. I appreciate it. President of KCD Inc. You can check him out at kcdpr.com. He's one of the world's best. Thanks for joining us. Kevin, great appreciate to Great to meet you. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Take care, guys. It. Appreciate Enjoy it, Kevin. Craig. Enjoy All right, man. Craig. Take care. Craig, Craig's gone. He'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, guys. Thank you. All right. Craigie Poo, he's like uh, the rainmaker. And so he thought that literally meant he brought the rain, the hurricane, like Hurricane Carter. He's Hurricane Siegel. He 
he's flying high above. Like, if where he, are you right now? I'm in the car. I'm going to speak at Chapman University. I got to meet up, and I got a, a VC meeting beforehand. You know me. I'm not wasting time. I got to be no. doing something at all times. Activities I planned. I don't have plans. Activities that get people on people. Uh, all right, we're looking to be up our last year. Von Reese is here. Greg, Hello there. To introduce. Is that? Is it? Can you hear me, Craig? Yes. Oh, it's, it's the uh, Vaughn's connection that may be bad. Uh, like, Vaughn, can you hear us? I can hear you guys. He can hear us, Dave. Hi there. How's it going? I'll I'll introduce him because I think maybe Dave's. This is Vaughn Reese, founder and CEO of Haywire AI. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. I hear you guys perfectly. Awesome. It's great to be here with you. Dave, can you hear me? I think Dave might be cutting out a little bit. Yeah, I think it looks like he's traveling, so it might be uh, maybe something going on there. Yeah, and where are you dialing in from? Uh, I'm in Los Angeles in uh, Studio City. Oh, very cool. And is that close to Dave? Where Where is Dave? I think he's in uh, San Diego. A uh, couple hours. Understood. Okay. Yeah, where are you based? I'm in, in Manhattan in the Big Apple. In case oh, you got can it. Tell by the accent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my I, – I've – Spent a lot of time there. I've had projects and spent uh, more time in New York than probably anywhere else other than L.A. I love it. And, and also you've been abroad too, right? Yeah, I've done some work, you know, uh, in a couple of different places. I, I had projects in, in West Africa, in the Middle East, uh, just doing projects, working on different things there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know one thing that you're really excited about right now is the AI stuff. But you were kind of working on this before it became trendy, right? Yeah, you know, like, uh, so, you know, I'm sort of, a, I have sort of like a business startup addiction. You know, <laughs> I start up businesses like people go to lunch. And um, I uh, started a company back in 2015 that was like a food recommendation engine for people with special uh, dietary restrictions. And that was the first instance where we started looking at AI. Uh, you know, that business, uh, I'm not working on that anymore. But this particular one called Haywire, Haywire AI, we we launched this um, February of last year. Um, you know, by by technology and AI standards, like light years before <laughs> before um, ChatGPT was you know announced and. AI became a household name. So, um, so yeah, we've been working with AI for a minute. I love it. And, and one thing that you created also was Wells. Is that right? So hey, I, uh, Haywire is the company. And then the product that, we, that we're working on is called Wells. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to give you a little background on Wells. Please. Like yes, please. So uh, Wells is basically a, a content generation engine, uh, an AI content generation engine. It works, it has a lot of different applications. We built it for news because uh, our legacy, our, our, you know, our sister company where this sort of sprouted from uh, is, uh, you know, I, I launched uh, a newspaper publishing company 27 years ago. We have up 26, 27 <laughs> in Southern California right now. And uh, we were looking for ways in the last couple of years to scale up the level of content that we generate and do that efficiently and, and cost effectively. 
And we started looking at different types of tools that we could use, different technologies that we could use to, to do that. And one of the technologies that we looked at was, you know, a couple of companies that were providing some AI content services. Uh, we started using those and we quickly discovered that they were really nowhere nearly uh, sufficient to accommodate the level of quality and uh, the integrity of like journalistic quality content that we need, like news. And so that wasn't really going to work with what was on the market at the time. However, we being like technology geeks ourselves, we decided, you know what, we should just launch our own because the technology, the underlying technology had a lot of promise. So um, we, we started, you know, uh, basically we spent about six months creating the architecture of uh, what is now Wells. We filed a 66 page patent on that, uh, you know, last, uh, I don't know, earlier this year. And uh, what it does is it, it, Wells is constantly scraping the internet, looking for uh, relevant news uh, or any type of content that you told it that you want. It, it looks at those, oh, that's important, that's important, that's important. And then let's say it identifies this particular story as being really important based on what we told it is important. It grabs that story, it researches that story, it finds multiple other sources that are talking about that story, it verifies all the information, and then generates a brand new article uh, from all that learning that it did. And then it presents that to the editor. And it's doing that, you know, a hundred times an hour, a hundred times a day, how, how, whatever frequency you need. So it just, it really creates unprecedented scale uh, of quality, journalistic quality content for news organizations, you know, but it's not just for news organizations. We started with news because we figured if we build it that it, in a, in such a way that it, it has that level of um, complexity to, to be able to do real high quality journalism quality content, it could be applied anywhere. So uh, we're anticipating that only, you know, probably 10 to 15% of our, our business is going to be news, news organizations and that sort of thing. Um, for, you know, it's, it's also, uh, the, the other applications would be for corporate content, uh, bloggers, all the way from somebody who's at home blogging about, uh, you know, best ways to water your plants all the way to, you know, uh, enterprise level uh, generating content for, you know, uh, some technology company or a news organization or whatever. This is very innovative. And just to be clear, to clarify for the listeners, this requires no human prompting. Is that right? Right. That's one of the unique points about, about our system is that, you know, uh, if you've used ChatGPT or any of the other platforms, most of the other platforms that are out there now, you still have to have a human sitting there talking, prompting, prompting, prompting. And then when you're prompting, if you're not a professional prompt engineer who spent, you know, a lot of time learning how to do that, you, you're getting like garbage in, garbage out. Right. And so you have to keep prompting again, prompting again. And then what you get, you'll have to edit. You'll have to do all of that. So it's still time consuming. Um, so what we've done essentially is we've taken all of that out of the formula. So what you do is you go into Wells and you create a, uh, an, an AI journalist. You tell it what you want, emphasis on, you know, what type of content coming from what angle. Like, for example, you say, you, want, you know, I want to create uh, an AI journalist. I want to call him Jack 
and I want to give him the beat of covering entertainment in Los Angeles, specifically concentrating on the film industry, right? So turn it on. You give it all those parameters of what you're looking for, what style you're looking for, how frequently you want stories. I want five stories a day in this particular genre. You turn it on, you walk away, done. And what happens is Wells will then, you know, and you schedule when you want those stories. Um, and then from that point on, Wells will just every day, five times a day, five times an hour, whatever you told it, those stories will just be submitted to the editor for review and publishing. They've been researched, they've been verified, we provide the sourcing for them. Um, they've, they're, they're plagiarism free, they've been run through plagiarism filters. They're essentially like ready to publish. And then uh, along with that, we also provide all the corresponding uh, social media posts. So here's your here's your article about the 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 strike and um, and what's happening with it today. And by the way, we took from that article we created for you a, a, an Instagram post, a, a LinkedIn post, and a you know. Uh, an X post or Twitter post. So uh, here you go. Look at it, review it. The one thing we don't do is allow Wells to self-publish. So a human is 100% involved in the process. So we, we submit that to an editor. The editor looks at it. Once they're comfortable with it, they're like, okay, looks good. Verified all the information. Publish. And it automatically publishes all of that. Understood. And are all these media That's outlets only in SoCal? Sorry, Dave. I'm sorry. Are, are you only based out of Southern California? We we are based, you know, our yeah, we're based out of Southern California, out of Los Angeles. But we, you know, this is a global the the prop the it, it's a SaaS um, got it model B two B SaaS and it, it works. Uh, people can, you know, we've had we've had we launched our uh, early access like early sign up for this. It's not ready. It's not on the market yet. But we launched like an early access campaign. And we have uh, 700 people so far that have signed up. And if the names of the organizations that have signed up for this, I don't know if I can mention them here publicly, but the names are global Fortune 500 institutions that you've heard, everyone's heard of uh, that are interested in the product. The minute we launch, they want to be using it. So I love it. Yeah. Dave, are you in there? Wes. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Lexus, Lexus should be licensing this. Uh, wire. Check out AI. Uh, sorry. And uh, and sure has taken. Uh, we'll have you back on, Vaughn. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your genius. And we can't wait to see. Uh, application. Thank you so much. Thank you, David. I, I'm I'm sorry I didn't wasn't able to catch most of what you said, but uh, yeah. would love to come back. Absolutely, anytime. <laughs> Vaughn, it was great you to have you on. My pleasure. Great to meet you. Thank you. All right, Craigie Pooh, can you hear me? <laughs> now I can. Yes. Close it. Yeah, cl close it out. Right, give your takeaway of the day. I will let you close the big show. It's Office Hours with David Meltzer and Craig Siegel. Craig, it's all up to you. Just love it. the commonality between all four of these companies is entrepreneurship and AI. I just think it's really cool that number one, the spirit of the entrepreneur. 
I know what that takes. And then also everybody leaning into AI with the technology. And look, let's be honest, despite what you might think of AI, it's not going anywhere. So it's time to lean in and optimize what you have going on. And I just thought that was really cool and special. And, and then also obviously what Kevin was talking about in regards to personal branding and reputation and PR and stuff like that, uh, just very fitting for today. And, and where we're at as a whole with, with the economy and, and just everything that people should be thinking about, so to speak. Um, we encourage you guys to check out all four of these awesome companies, what they have going on. If you're available in any of the cities that Joe is throwing events, you should definitely check them out. Um, and, and that's it for now. I want to thank my co-pilot, Big Dave, whose service was a little spotty, but we love obstacles. We love to overcome them. Um, and we just thank everybody for being here today. And also, if you haven't yet, grab a copy of the brand new the reinvention formula national best-selling book um, who has an endorsement by big dave and as dave would say we encourage everybody to be happy uh to lean in to learn and do a lot of good in the world and we hope that you guys have a great night